We are continuing uh, a conversation, a series called Eat Your Peas, right? I love that. I have Napoleon Dynamite in the head with, eat your food, right? You know, eat your peas. And, and I, you know, what, for one, I understand, just to give you the idea, behind this series was the fact that there's few people, and I'm saying few because you do exist. I mean, you have piles of Old Testament concordances at home and, and Old Testament maps on the wall. I mean, I know there's a few people that really love it and you get into it. God bless you, okay? Everybody else, um, we struggle sometimes. We struggle with this Jewish scriptures. We struggle with the old covenant because we live in the new covenant, because we're on this side of Christ. It's hard sometimes to approach it, to study it, to see the value in it. One of the reasons we find, and I, I personally for me, that I hold the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures, into high value is because Jesus did, okay? Jesus spent a great deal of time quoting and talking about the fulfillment and fulfilling prophecies of the Old Covenant. He would talk about the people that were, you know, that were mentioned in Jewish Scripture, like Adam and Eve and Moses. He would talk about them as real people. And that's one of the reasons that we study the Old Testament. You don't need, you know, we're going to give you some tools to help you, but um, you don't need these tools to just take a verse out of Proverbs or take a little, you know, devotion out of Psalm. But if you really want to study it, if you really want to get your head around it, if you really want to, you know, bring it to the value that it actually is in terms of God's story, uh, we want to help you. That was the part, heart and purpose behind this uh, series. And so what we did is we came up with these four words. These four words are just hopefully to spark in you when you approach a passage, like last week, I can't re- even begin to review it, but uh, Zach brought us a beautiful story of uh, Homer, the Homer, uh, Hosea and, and uh, Gomer, that's what I meant to say, Gomer. <laughs> it threw me because, you know, it's an attractive name for a woman. Um, but Hosea and Gomer, and, and, and just kind of walked us through these, these four things as we approach Scripture. What style is it? What's the context of it? What's the overall message of it? Credibility, like what's the credibility we can find? Google's your friend. That's all I can say. Like look at all the things that Scripture says and bring about some external sources to help you walk through, uh, you know, some of the context of it as well. And so that's what we're doing. So today I want to give you the references, the Scripture references of the story we're going to be looking at. Now I'm calling it the Battle of Jericho because that's where we're ending today, even though I'm going to talk about a story that's about a 50-year story span in terms of the, the children of God. Uh, so from Numbers 13, 14, Deuteronomy 30, and Joshua 1 through 6, if you want to open up your Bible and kind of flip through as I'm giving some summary, that's where we're going to be. And so I challenge you to read that on your own if it interests you, okay? And so today, that's going to be the context. Let me give you the style, context, message, and credibility just around Joshua, just around the beginning of Joshua in this uh, Battle of Jericho story. The style of the book, which is, you know, again, Google. This is an easy thing for you to learn. It's historical literature. It happens to be the sixth book of the Hebrew Bible. Uh, It's the first book of the Deuteronomistic history, which is important to the Jewish culture in terms of why they broke up their history that way. And it's a character-author situation where God has Joshua actually write from his perspective, in his story, in his lifetime, what's going on in the, in the history of the children of Israel. Uh, so it's a character author uh, situation. The context, again, is a pretty big story. I'm going to go from what's called the, tw- the story of the 12 spies, and I'll give you some more in that in a minute, but 12 spies for 40 days, that's around 1445 B.C., our best, uh, our best estimate. There's 40 years after that of judgment in the desert. Uh, this is a transitional period of time. Moses dies. Uh, Joshua takes leadership, they cross over the Jordan River, and then, of course, the Battle of Jericho, which is best uh, estimated at 1405 uh, B.C. And so that's, um, that's a big context of a lot of, a lot of context of what we're going to cover today 
uh, together. But uh, I'm going to go to credibility. I'll give you the bottom line message in a minute. But the credibility is fun, especially for this story, because I love, I love when they talk about cities or things like that that we can actually look at. Um, the desert of Pran is part of the story. That's, where they, uh, that's the place between Israel and, uh, and Egypt where they wandered for 40 years. The Jordan River, obviously, is a, is a, is a landmark. Uh, Tel El Sudan is the actual common current name of where we, we call ancient Jericho in terms of this story, Tel El Sudan. There's, uh, uh, you know, if you go online, of course, I say Google's your friend, but you're going to find a lot of stuff too. There's a lot of argument among archaeologists and scholars about the dates of when certain things have been dug up and found. There's a lot of arguments over the dating of things, uh, but there's a, a whole lot of agreement as to what they find, okay? So they argue about the dates, but what they find is true in terms of uh, the, the wall came tumbling down, right? The wall came down. They have evidence of a, of a layer of ash where that was destroyed after it fell. It was destroyed by fire. Um, uh, and there's even evidence of, of earthquake activity as well, which many scholars believe that was how God, you know, did what he did. But um, that's kind of the credibility. I want to show you a picture just to give you some context as we talk about the story. This is ancient Jericho, uh, just kind of a rendering of it. And I want you to see there's actually two walls. And that's part of the Tel El Sudan. The Tel is actually a mount, so it's kind of a, a higher up mounted fortified city uh, on this particular small mount where, you know, everybody in Lake Norman knows what this is like when you live near the lake. How many know what a uh, uh, retaining wall is? Raise your hand. You, got retaining, you know retaining walls, right? So that's what this lower, uh, this lower part actually is. It's a retaining wall. It's about 12 to 15 feet high, and it, it's right before kind of that kind of embankment, if you will, up to the inner wall to the city. And now the inner wall is between 20 and 26 feet high. It was about six feet thick was the inner wall. And so that's kind of the idea of what you're going to see when we talk about the story. I want you to have that visual in mind. And of course, um, there, there's visuals from today in terms of what they find, how they agree upon the, the wall's destruction and what happened to the mud wall and what happened to the, you know, to the earth. You know, it's kind of like the, the outer mud walls, what fell and everything came a tumbling down, right? Practice it with Legos when you get home and you'll see it all, it all works that way, right? So um, this is a big deal because when you pull in this external context, you really start to get a better idea of what we're talking about. And then, obviously, you look at the, the, at the Word of God as what the message is from God's heart to us as we read the story, as we see His story in the Old Testament kind of uh, unfold. And the message, here's three phrases I want you to kind of wrap your mind around today as we look through this whole story. All right, here's the three phrases. My way, their way, God's way. Let's just say it out loud together, right? All out loud together. My way, their way, God's way. One more time. Say it again. My way, their way, God's way. That's the bottom line of where we're going today in terms of this huge, huge story. Let me take you to, again, this isn't the beginning. It's just impossible for me to summarize and, and bring you to speed. But let me just kind of give you, and if you've ever went to VBS or Sunday school as a kid, let me just bring you where we are, okay? We are, we are after Moses has come to deliver the Israelites from Egypt, okay? We're after the Red Sea. Where after the period of time in the desert where God, you know, they followed God as a, as a cloud by day and a fire by night. They were sustained by God in terms of food that God brought them every day. He caused uh, water to pour out of a rock in the middle of the desert. Like, this is all after this. This is really after what we consider the deliverance time as they begin to border and get close to the land of their ancestors. This is where Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the, the land that God gave them and that he promised his people he would return, uh, return them to. And, and over the course of this story, we're going to jump in 
when Moses decides to ask one, one leader of every tribe of the 12 tribes of Israel, he asks one leader of every tribe to go into the land. They were going to be spies. This is the story of the 12 spies, okay? They're going to go into the land of Israel for 40 days, and they're going to come back and report. And what we see when you go to uh, Numbers uh, 13 and 14, what we see in Numbers 13 is they come back and all of them state basically, yes, it's a beautiful land. The phrase they use is it's flowing with milk and honey, right? They show some of the crops that they've been there. And then 10 of the spies out of the 12 begin to say, but the people living there are powerful. Their towns are fortified. We saw giants there. And next to them, we felt like grasshoppers. And that's what they thought too. That's humbling, isn't it? You know, not just that you think that, but they probably said something that made them, they, they realized that as well. The next to them, we were like grasshoppers. And so they start saying, 10 of them come back and basically say, no, we, we shouldn't have anything to do with going into this land. And two, Joshua and Caleb, two of the leaders of their tribes and two of the folks came back, they said, no, they basically came back and said, I mean, Caleb was very vocal, said, no, let's take the land at once. Let's follow God. You see in, in, in Numbers 14, you see the people begin to complain. And they begin to conspire, and they begin to rebel. So the ten, the word of the ten spies starts to make its way, grassroots, you know, all the way through the community. It says the whole community begins to weep out loud and says, if only we had died in Egypt, if only we had died in the desert, our wives and our children are going to be plunder, you know, for the people. That, and this is just the worst situation. They start to conspire. They say, let's get a new leader. Let's choose a new leader. Matter of fact, Caleb and Joshua say, listen, don't be afraid. Do not rebel against what God has called us to. I love this phrase. He says, they have nothing and we have God. That was their statement. They have nothing and we have God. But the people of God decide that they're going to rebel against God's way. And in that moment, God brings down judgment. God brings down the consequences of not following God. And Moses begs for mercy. He begs God for mercy. But Numbers 14, you read a little bit later on, where God says, none of them shall enter. And when he says, when none of them shall enter, none of these shall enter, he's specifically speaking to the patriarchs. Now, in this context, you need to understand the Old Testament context. In this context, um, you know, it didn't matter how big your family was. It didn't matter how many brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and cousins and so forth and so on. It didn't matter how big it was. There was only one voice that actually mattered, and that was the patriarch. That was the one who led the family. Didn't, again, didn't matter how big your family was. There was one voice. There's one vote that mattered, and that was the patriarch. That was the leader of the family. Many of these 12 spies were the patriarchs, but there were so many more in, in, throughout Israel. And so God basically says as a judgment, as a consequence, none of the patriarchs, none of those, and he goes on to say, none of those who have seen my miraculous signs, who have experienced my presence, will see the land, I promise them. None of them will do it. And so they begin to wander, and this is where the wandering in the 40 years in the desert of Paran actually begins to happen. And and uh, it's a long time. God still provides for them, still provides food, still provides clothing. I believe the scripture says their sandals never wore out. So God was still faithful even in their judgment, even in their, in their consequences. He was still faithful to them, but this whole generation of patriarchs had to die. And at the end of that time, I want to kind of skip to and read from, this is sort of Moses' final days. Moses' final days, he gets to this place where, and I wouldn't say these are the final words of Moses, but this is the last chapter of the final words of Moses. Everybody nod your head if you're with me, right? This is kind of like his last words, his official last words. 
But this is a really important time where Moses begins to challenge his people again. And here's, here's what he says. He says, now listen, today I'm giving you a choice between life and death, between prosperity and disaster. Moses was not trying to be overly dramatic. He was stating the obvious. Guys, this is a life and death situation. Your patriarchs have all had to die, right? This is a life and death situation. This is about prosperity or disaster. And he goes on to say this, I command you this day to love the Lord your God and to keep his commandments, decrees, and regulations by walking in his ways. God's way, right? God's way. His commands, his decrees, his regulations. The easiest way to say that is God told them what to do. God told them what not to do. And then God told them how to do what he wanted them to do. That's the commands, decrees, and regulations. I've given this all to you. And Moses is saying, walk in his way, in God's way. For I, if you do this, and this is where he starts painting this picture, if you do this, you will live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are about to enter and occupy. And he says, but if your heart turns away and you refuse to listen my way, and if you are drawn away their way to serve and worship other gods, then I warn you now, you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live a long, good life in the land you are crossing the Jordan to occupy. Moses takes his final words, his final days, and pleads with the people of God, I want you to trust God's way. I want you to trust God's way. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'll pause here for a minute, but I'll be honest. Most of the time, It's not that we all have to learn things the hard way, but most of the time we all tend to learn things the hard way, right? We don't have to, but we tend to. And it just so happens that sometimes it takes us walking through the pain and discomfort and frustration of our circumstances, of the outcomes that we've brought upon ourselves. Sometimes it takes us walking through that a little while before we become open again to receiving that kind of challenge as Moses gives his people. Listen, guys, follow his commands, decrees, regulations. Do it. It's a life and death situation. I'm just telling you, trust God's way. Don't, don't, don't harden your heart and turn away because that's your way. That's a my way situation. And don't be drawn away. That's their way. I want you to follow God's way. That's what matters. And then Moses actually dies. He goes up on the mountain, dies. I can't walk you through the whole story of Moses, but he passes away. God's with him. Gives him an opportunity to see the promised land from a distance. Says, this is going to be, I'm going to fulfill my promises. And then he shows up to Joshua. Now, Joshua was Moses' kind of apprentice and assistant already. This is one of the 12, Joshua and Caleb. Joshua is who we're talking about. He's one of, uh, he, he and Caleb, sorry, I didn't say that earlier. Uh, when, when, Mo, when, when God said no one will enter these patriarchs, he said, except Caleb and Joshua. That was an exception. Like, these two that said, yes, let's go, that followed me, that were, that were willing to serve and do what God called them to do and, and live God's way, they will enter. So Joshua is now approached. And I want you to just see what God says to Joshua, very similar to Moses' final words with his people. He says, after the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. And he says, Moses, my servant, is dead. And he goes on and says, therefore, the time has come for you 
to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land I am going to give them, or I am giving them. And he goes on in a few verses, I'm not going to read, but he goes on to make Joshua basically the promise. Look, I'm going to give you everything I promised Moses. I'm going to be with you like I was with Moses. Don't worry about it. I'm going to be with you. This is, you're getting the package deal. You're getting everything that I gave your boss. And then I want you to see these words. He says in verse, uh, I think it's verse 4, he says, Be strong and courageous, for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore their ancestors that I would give them. And then he says, Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions that Moses gave you. Like, I want you to obey them. Then he goes on to say, do not deviate from them, neither turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instruction continually. And he keeps going. This is God to to Joshua. Meditate on it day and night, so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you say the words out loud, prosper, and what? Succeed in all you do. Going back to the whole life and death situation, right? He says, this is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Moses pleads with them, guys, trust God's way. Trust him. God comes to Joshua and says, trust me. Trust me. Here's what he told Joshua. Look at it. My way wins, okay? God's way wins. Hashtag Jesus wins, okay? Now, I, I make fun of the hashtag love, love wins movement a lot, primarily because I, I understand the heart behind it, but because of the current culture's context of what people think love means, I think it's a cheap way out. I said, if you want to have absolute truth, just tell them hashtag Jesus wins. That's what you should do. Because we do really do believe that Jesus wins. God's way wins. And here he, and this is, listen, you just have to understand that I'm a dad now. I'm a father now after 13, 14 years. And, and I just want you to know whether you're a parent or not, you got to find some way to invest in the next generation, invest in our kids, invest in youth. Because if you would do that, you would understand God so much better. You just would. You'll understand God so much better. Here's Moses, just guys, please. I've seen, like, I've gone to my children and I've said, listen, if you just, if you just do it the right way, right? If you just do it this way, it'll be so much better. And I see in their eyes that they're contemplating the possibility of doing it the right way. But there's so many other better options. So I'm telling you, this is a big part of just understanding the heart of God. God going to, to Joshua saying, look, the book of instructions is there for you. Don't, you know, don't deviate from it. Obey it. You know, meditate on it. Live by it. My way wins. God's way is best. And conversation after conversation, as a pastor, I I have conversations with people because we spend so much time. Listen, just think about it. Just be honest for yourself. How much time have you spent in your life up to this point trying to get God on board with your way of doing things and your way of thinking? Because your way is always best. It's always quickest. It always makes sense to you. Many people spend a great deal of time either just falling in line with culture, falling in line with their way, because their way is not going to cause any waves, not have any problems. Or you're on Facebook trying to argue with people and try to get their way to look more like your way, right? When all that matters is will you live God's way? 
because God's way wins. God's way is best. And I have conversations with people about sexuality and marriage and God's way and God's plan. And I have the conversations where they say, it's my body, it's my choice. It, you know, you can't tell me what to do. And then they go on and say, well, you know, this is what everybody does. Everybody hooks up. Everybody, everybody Netflix and chills. Everybody just lives according to this, this cultural norm. It's just, this is just simple. This is just the way it works. And I go, yeah, or, or you can understand what purity means. You can understand that your body's a temple. You can understand the value that's on your life and your sexuality. You can choose to do marriage God's way. And instead of experiencing the pain and the frustration and carrying the baggage into your marriage and into your marriages, you can do it God's way and reap the rewards, reap the benefit. I talk to people about finances because this is a big deal for folks. Money's a big deal, especially in our culture, especially in the Nick Norman culture. It's my money. I worked very hard for it. Don't tell me what to do with my money, right? God can't tell me what to do with my money. And we're all looking for the next cheat. We're all looking for the next hack. We're all looking for that way to get ahead and figure it out and bypass the system and be in debt, but it not really be a problem and, you know, still retire when I'm 29. Like, we're all trying to figure that out. Or we can live God's way. We can understand what it is to sacrificially give and to live a life where we tithe in obedience back to God, where we live generously, where we don't put our trust in our money. That's so fleeting. I know people that are making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year from their million-dollar companies, and they have no peace at all. They have no peace. They are constantly driven for the next dollar, for the next cent. They will not leave a dime on the table because there's no peace in their life. And then I know people who make a fraction of that, who live generously and sacrificially, and they are so content, and they are so fulfilled and satisfied living generously with what God's blessed them with. You know, it works the same way with church. Church and religion is the same. You know, and you know hey, listen, you know, I, I'll, I'll come to church when I can. I'll, I'll figure this thing out when I can. It's, you know, it's going to be kind of a priority in my life if I can make it that. I mean, but really, Sunday's my only me day, right? Culture doesn't program around it. Like everything, we, everything you know, we're going to be busy all week long. We're going to be structured all week long. We've got to run the race six and a half days a week if we possibly can, seven. Or we can choose to understand God's way. We can choose to understand why church exists and why this religious system that we call followers of Christ, this Christianity, why this matters, why corporate worship matters, why, why being a part of a community matters of people I'm doing life with. Why? So that I can reap the rewards. I can reap the benefits. I can reap the fact that God's way wins. It is best. Instead of spending all my time trying to figure out how to get God on my way, or just folding in to their way. Now, I love the fact that Joshua has this opportunity. He hears from God, and he hears the same thing that Moses has pleaded, and God confirms it. And so they cross the Jordan River, and that's a miraculous thing, and they get across, and they build an Ebenezer, and there's a whole lot of worship. If you don't like worship, you wouldn't have liked this time, because there's a whole lot of worship and songs and phrases and chants. There was a whole lot of praising God, okay? There was some weird circumcision stuff that happened. That's another sermon. I'm not going to talk about that. You know, there's some other things going on. But then they approach Jericho, and Jericho is their first, like, big challenge, 
I mean, they heard the ten spies. Many of them would remember what those patriarchs said. And they get to Jericho, the fortif- the, one of the most fortified cities in the, na- in the whole nation there. And it's their first challenge. And here's what Joshua, here's Joshua 5, you want to read along. This is Joshua. I love this encounter. I'll tell you why in a little bit. But it just says Joshua was near the town of Jericho. He looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a sword in his hand. All right? Now, you know, Joshua, again, common sense. He, Joshua goes on and says, uh, you went up to him and demanded, are you a friend or a foe? That's a good question to ask when someone has a sword in their hand. <laughs> are you a friend or foe? No matter what translation you read, some of it says, are you with us or against us? Are you on our side or are you on their side? And the guy responds, my favorite response in all of Scripture. He says, no. Right? No, neither one. Are you, are you a friend or a foe? Nope. Everything you just said is wrong. That's what he, that's what he said. He says, no, I'm, I'm the commander of the Lord's army. This was, a, this was a time in which he says, no, no, no. Are you with us or against us? Is, is this? He says, no, I'm God's way. And here's what Joshua does. At this point, Joshua fell to his face to the ground in reverence. I am at your command. Joshua said, what do you want your servant to do? And he goes on to say, the, the command of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place you're standing is holy ground. And Joshua did as he was told. That's God's way. He's like, that's it, God's way. Because there's a challenge ahead. There's something they're going to have to do. This is a part of what God's promise was to them. And here's God's way. Now, this is one of the reasons I said earlier, I can't just jump into the battle of Jericho. Because if we jump into the battle of Jericho, it's not that much of a battle. It's a weird story. It's kind of strange. If you just jump into it, it's one of those moments you just go, oh, cool, I guess, right? Like you just jump into it. You don't understand the context. You don't get the bigger message. So here's Joshua now leading his people, devoted to living God's way. And the Lord of the commander's army said, hey, are you, are you with us or against us? He said, neither one. I'm God's way. And then he says, what do you want me to do? Well, this is in Joshua 6. This is what God said my way is going to look like. I'm not going to read it all. I'm just going to give you the context. He says, I want you to march around the city walls for six days. One time around. I just want you to march around the city's walls one time a day for six days. Oh, okay. I want you to put seven priests out front. I want you to have the ark out front, the ark of the covenant. I'm going to have the worship team out front. They're going to have ram's horns. Nothing like a good ram's horn in worship, right? They have ram's horns. And he says, oh, on the seventh day, we're going to change it up. You're going to march seven times and you're going to blow the ram's horns as you march. And then it says, after the seventh time on the seventh day, there's going to be a long horn blast. And then you're going to shout. Then you're going to shout. And then, this is, we'll read this. This is the end of the story. I wish it was more, more of a battle. This is when the people heard the sound of the ram's horns. They shouted as loud as they could. Suddenly, the walls of Jericho collapsed, and the Israelites charged straight into the town and captured it. That's the story. And the context for this, the reason it matters, the reason that, that it just is such a powerful story for me, is because God's way sometimes doesn't make any sense at all. Y'all with me? Nod your head at all if you're with me. doesn't make any sense. 
you know, you know, the, you know God could have had him do anything, like wheelbarrow race, like anything, like, because none of it, none of it made sense. God was going to take care of the city. He just wanted to see if they'd obey and live out God's way. Now, what I love about this, I'll give this uh, small little, little thing before we, we end, but what I love about that is because you have to understand, even though Joshua was leading his people, okay, and the people followed, it doesn't mean that everybody understood it. It doesn't mean that everybody, you know, on day four or five, you know, they, like, like you have to put yourself in those, their shoes. On day four or five, when they're marching around the city again, one more time, there's got to be people that are going, you know, I could scale this pretty easily, you know? I mean, I got some rope back in the village, right? Like, this is the dumbest thing we've ever done as a nation, okay? Like, just the nature of the, you know, you got to read the story. The nature of the context of the people of God is that they would probably, I'm guarantee you, they probably began to complain. The one, one of the reasons I believe they, that was already happening is because, again, I'm a dad. And, and, and in the context of the story in Joshua 6, you know, when Joshua is giving instruction to the people on day 7, on day 7, it's very specific. Joshua looks at the people and says, you're not going to say a word. <laughs> Do you know what that means? It means you're going to zip your face is what he was saying. Like, I can believe that Joshua in that moment, most commentators agree that this was a contextual thing. Like, we're going to make some noise, but you're going to shut your face for the day. And then when it gets to the end, we are going to give a loud shout together. We're going to nip the complaining that's rising up, and we're going to, we're going to do this together. This is, this is the last day. This is God's way. And then God delivered the city. So the context of the story, I just want you to, hopefully you're with me, is that when you understand the bigger picture, you can get to a battle of, battle of Jericho, and you can just say, well, this is how God wanted to do it. And say, so that makes sense. But you're going to miss all the be strong and courageous. You're going to miss, you're going to miss all those earlier, the earlier phrases. When, when, listen, when God said to Joshua, I want you to be strong and I want you to be courageous. Do you want to know why he said that? Like three times in that context. He said it because Joshua had lived through the, the desert. He had lived through the experience of the 12 spies. He had lived through the people of God going, no, we're not going to do it. We're going to rebel. He'd lived through that. So the reason he says, you know what, be strong and courageous, he was basically saying, Joshua, be strong. Fight the my way that's going to rise up in you. Be strong in your faith. Be strong in your trust in God. Be strong. Be courageous. You know what that means? Listen, you're going to need to fight their way. You're going to fight when the crowd says it's so much easier to just do this. You're going you're to need to, to fight to stand firm when everything their way says, we're just going to go do something else. He says, no, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not be discouraged when everybody doesn't get it. No, follow God's way. Trust God's way. And guys, we are faced with that every day, that simple choice. Well, multiple times a day. Are you going to live my way today? Are you going to fall in line and live their way? Or are you going to choose, right? Are you going to choose to live God's way, to trust God's way? One of the reasons I love the, the exchange, okay, this, this exchange between <clears throat> Joshua and, and the Lord of Heaven's armies, one of the reasons I love that exchange is because this is the same conversation that Jesus would have hundreds of times in his ministry. 
Because Jesus showed up, and you know, Jesus was God's way, right? Jesus was God's way. Jesus came to say, I want you to understand how God's way, what, what it's going to look like in this new covenant. I'm God's way. And yet when he showed up on the scene, the Pharisees and the religious leaders kept coming up to Jesus going, hey, are you, uh, are you, are you with my way or are you, are you with their way? And Jesus kept going, neither one. I'm God's way. And the, the sinners and the tax collectors would eat dinner with Jesus and somehow maybe even begin to think, you know what, maybe I think he's on our way, my way. Or, or maybe Jesus is, with, is still with them, we're just not sure. And Jesus kept saying, no, neither one. Everything you said is wrong. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm God's way. Trust God's way. And I don't know where you fall. Like, I don't know... I said it this morning, in a, in a crowd this size, in a group this size, watching online, like we're all in different spots in our life. And, and I understand that even from a parallel of the, of the big picture story, you know, you, you yourself right now could be in a place where, where you are at the kind of at the verge of making some decisions in your life. And you've spent a lot of time trying to get God on board with your way and my way of thinking. When you've been listening to the their way, and God's trying to tell you, trust God's way. Don't go through the, the consequences that you don't have to go through. Trust God's way. And yet I also know that there are folks here, you are already well into the backside of walking through some painful frustrating consequences because you know you've already made decisions your way and you've already listened to them and tried to just fall in line but life is not going the way you want it to go you can turn it around you can begin to trust even when it doesn't make sense you can trust God's way and I know a lot of us and this is just this is true there's a lot of us in the room. We are on day four or five of trying to live God's way. You're on day four or five of trying to live God's way, and the wall hadn't come down yet. And you feel like what you're doing is starting to look pretty stupid. And you're pretty frustrated that that victory hasn't happened, that that prayer request hasn't been answered, that that relationship hasn't been solved. That that, that that conflict hasn't, hasn't worked itself out. That the circumstances that are looming over me have yet to go away. And you're trying to live God's way, but you're getting weary. Be strong and courageous and trust God's way. Right? I love the words of that song we sang. I've seen you move the mountains and I believe you'll do it again. Jericho was a no-way situation. And it says, you made a way where there was no way. That's the business that God's in. And I believe you do it again. But guys, we have to trust God's way. Let's pray together. Father God, I'm so thankful. I'm thankful for Joshua, for his uh, boldness and courage even as he and Caleb, in the face of, of the minority, said, absolutely not, we should trust God's way. 
and had to live through the consequences, had to live through 40 years in the wilderness. And God, I'm so thankful in terms of recorded history of your word that Moses made that plea again and that you went to Joshua again. And Joshua said later on even, as for me and my house, we will follow God's way. Thank you for his story. He wasn't perfect. He didn't do it perfectly. But God, what an example to challenge us today, not to fall so quickly, to let our hearts turn back to my way or to be drawn away to their way of doing things. Whatever the majority says, whatever the culture you know, pushes us towards, God, that we would be strong and courageous ourselves and we would trust that God's way is best. No matter what area in our lives we're struggling with, God, there's always a way to turn it around and to trust your way. God, thank you for that message, for the, for the old covenant for us to learn from and to live in and to live the, the lessons taught to us from them, even as we experience the benefit of the new covenant. In Jesus' precious name we pray all this. Amen.